This episode's guest is Matt Thomas. Matt is a sports science coordinator and sports performance coach at TC Boost Sports Performance in Northbrook, Illinois, in the USA. With a speed development background and a fascination for data, it is Matt's daily challenge to combine the art of coaching with the science of data for his athletes of all ages and sports. Outside of the facility, Matt creates educational content for coaches and professionals, including his podcast, The Talking Shop Podcast. You can follow Matt on his Instagram, his Twitter, his YouTube channel, and his LinkedIn, and you can email him at matthew.thomas at gmail.com, and all of that information is linked up in the show notes. On this episode, Matt and I discuss Matt's background and his influences, Matt's training system, speed development and load velocity profiling, profiling athletes at TC Boost, the business model used at TC Boost, I asked Matt how does he learn, and finally, I asked Matt if he could learn from three people for a week, dead or alive, who would he learn from and why. Guys, this was a great episode with Matt and I hope you really enjoy it. Matt, thank you so much for making time. I really, really do appreciate it. Just for the listeners who don't know who you are, to listen in the background. Fantastic. So thank you for asking me to come on. Recording across the pond. Our our buddies in uh, in Ireland. I'm in the States. So depending on where your, your listeners are, this will be this will be interesting. So my name is Matt Thomas. I'm a sports performance coach, but we are known for our speed development at TC Boost Sports Performance. And I'm also our sports science coordinator. So I train youth athletes all the way up to pros on how to get bigger, faster, stronger, but mainly faster. And my job is also to make te- technology make sense, make our data make sense in the wild side of the private sector, whether it's teaching our coaches, whether it's putting articles together, trying to refine our process. So that's what I currently do. I guess I'll give a little, quick little crash course on where I've been. So I walked on, played college baseball at a D2 school in Missouri. Went from walk-on to World Series my freshman year. That was just wild in and of itself. Had a nice little four-year career after that. Then I got my master's at TCU in Texas doing sports science for the beach volleyball team, baseball, football, and women's tennis, just helping them out. I had these big, big plans to go anywhere but where I grew up. And then COVID said, nah, you can like go back home. So so COVID was like right when I graduated. So I've been a, a professional three years now and uh just love talking speed training athletes like-minded individuals so it was good to, to learn a little bit about you before we we started recording because i always like tossing that in there like it's exclusive like a private convo that only we had you know make some make some fear of missing out for the the listener so that's a little bit a bit about where i've been where i am and uh thank you for having me on yeah it's funny i uh i heard you say that in a podcast too like yeah you know, when you're listening to podcasts and they go, yeah, you know, the, the chat we had just before we went to line and all like the people listen, we don't get to hear that. And you get that like, you're like, yes, we're, we're putting FOMO out there. You miss, you miss all the gold. Exactly. Exactly. No, just, just about people's mind that he's, oh yeah, I just feel Matt in my background. So, which isn't that interesting. So you didn't miss out on anything guys. Um, listen, I always love asking guests who come on particularly for the first time about their influences. So who've been your biggest influences professionally and personally? Mm-hmm. fantastic so so being a, a speed first facility you know I'll, I'll train athletes for an hour together literally just doing speed work super fortunate to to be influenced by mainly Altis, Derek Hansen and Charlie Francis you know Charlie and Derek go hand in hand together but 
Eric Cressy is just overall good training and being a baseball player. I get a lot of my rotation and shoulder stuff from him. Chris Corfist, who's kind of our, uh, our devil's advocate, you know, he, he's the one who kind of pushes the needle and what you think is possible. I've seen him train in real life a few times and that'll make you rethink everything you do for sure. Um, but I would say also one of my biggest influences is my mentor, Steve Bridenstine. So that would be both personally and professionally. So I like to stay, say that Steve is the, the yin to my yang, you know, I'll get all excited. I want to get on a rabbit hole, whether it's speed, whether it's data or whatever. And then he's on the flip side, like he's super anecdotal and I'm super like numbers make sense in my mind. I'm a very black and white thinker. It's one of my, one of my many, many flaws, but he'll, he'll have some like little offhand comment about some anecdote or like he had one about uh kids just get better at the four jump RSI just over time. Cause it's very skill based. Even if you're bouncing, you still have to learn how to do that, the rhythm, whatever. I'm like, I want to know if that's true or not. So then I exported all of our kids' four jump data, you know, try to figure out if there's like a learning curve to it. Uh, so he reels me in, but also gives me some ideas. But, you know, Charlie Francis, Derek Hansen, whether it's for our return to play stuff or just sprinting mechanics, uh, the high intensity sprinting, Altus for all the mechanics stuff as well. My boss knows Stu and Derek and it's so crazy. Like you probably like name someone in the field and you probably have someone in your phone that has their phone number, which continues to blow my mind. So those are a little bit of the people that uh, influenced me, my workplace, my mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is uh you're definitely right about Chris. He's a great bloke. Um, Kyle Dietz, he's been, a, would he be an influence? To any yes. Time? Yes. Yes. I would, I would include that as well with all the ankle rocker stuff and, um rpr for sure yeah that definitely everyone you've named there have definitely been an influence on me too yeah so uh derek as well because going back to the fomo but what we spoke about before we hit record uh, derek will be there too and i've been a huge charlie francis guy too um mainly actually through alvar meal so al would have been a huge influence on me i uh it was funny i, I spoke with pete burridge um the reason i mentioned that is because i have a podcast with him coming out that will probably be published before this but I mentioned to Pete on that episode about how much of an influence Al was and how I got to know Al. Well, I, I obviously I knew of Al. You you, you know who Al is, don't you? Mm, yeah, everyone yeah. has got G, you know, OG and one of the OGs. But uh, I saw, like, I obviously was aware of who he was, but I saw him present in 2010 and perform better. And I'm not, that presentation, even to this day, was it was just one of those time points in my career. I was only 23, but it was just, he, it was just basically his whole system and, Al's system basically was a modification of Charlie Francis' system for team sports, and it was just brilliant. Like, he just basically gave us, because I was with two other colleagues of mine at the time, and they were roughly around the same age as me, and in terms of their development and their career, we were all, three of us, we were all roughly the same area, and it was just like, Al basically was like, here's the cookbook, follow that recipe, and you you have a great foundation. Because he basically just laid out his whole system, and it was like, all of his like volumes and intensities for speed work, for strength work, for power work, they're all just laid out there. His, you know, his, 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 uh, athletic development hierarchy and then his whole testing protocols, like how he knew what sort of specific biomotor quality to go after in an athlete, you know, and it was like, obviously, you know, you, you look at it now to, to, through today's lens, even 10 years on and say, right, there's still, like, a lot that could be improved on, but, like, given, like, he developed that from, like, the 80s through, like, the early to late 90s, I was just, and, you know, it's 12 years old since I saw the presentation, but that presentation was just phenomenal, and so Al was a huge influence, and obviously, 
that bled me that bled that bled from the work of Charlie. So yeah, Charlie number one and, and Derek, as you mentioned. So uh, and you're so you're so right too that there is probably someone always in your immediate circle that like knows someone who knows someone. Like it's very easy to kind of like you know it's like a tree and then the branches that just kind of like start coming out from the tree. It's like nearly everyone knows everyone. Like everyone's connected in some way, like a big spider web. So definitely true. And I, I definitely want to speak on the importance of just having a, a mentor, as long as he doesn't listen to this, hear me, me hype him up, but just to have someone to like, just to like bounce ideas off of and like not feel judged or be able to like, it's, it's like going, going to, to parents for professional advice versus someone else. Like parents, they just don't, they don't truly get it. You know, like their advice might not be wrong but like just to have like a mentor and someone that's been there done that and just be able to like understand the language know what it's actually like know what you're experiencing and feeling but also like well would you go down some six-month rabbit hole or have someone that's already done that and then like give you their two cents on it so super fortunate that that i showed up to tc boost one day asked for an internship and steve was just in charge of my questions for the rest of his life but uh, I definitely want to put that out there. If anyone is thinking about um, someone that they really enjoy talking to that's a few years ahead of them or whatever it may be, just to give the, the listeners some action before we dive into it, I think that that would 100% be worth your time. And it can be as professional or casual as you want, you know, a mentorship. It's really what you and that person decide. But it's been so influential. Like I couldn't imagine both personally, but also professionally someone who's in the same space, like-minded, but also isn't me, I think will, will leapfrog you a bunch of times. So I think that'd be worth, worth diving into for the listener. Yeah, hundred percent. And one small addition I'd add to that, I would say get mentors, you know, so it's, it's, it's really good to just, you know, get perspectives from multiple different sources rather than be kind of just locked into one, but obviously it's very important to start somewhere. So it is. So Matt, really want to hop into your training system so i suppose when i sent over questions to you i was like you know within that system so we're looking at assessment programming and then monitoring so i suppose some people call it their philosophy um and then within that philosophy they have their principles and their big rocks and then they have the processes that is basically their principles in action so if you want to take that question and run with it for the rest of the show it's all fantastic yeah so i think first we have to take a step back you know broad to narrow etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think operational definitions are super valuable the words we use are valuable and the language in which we describe things are valuable so you know my, my mentor brought this up in a staff meeting he was like we say we do speed training and like in essence we all know what that means but like how would you write that into a sentence you know so we we, we spend a whole meeting trying to figure out what we mean when we say we do speed training, which I know sounds super simple, but this is the definition that we've come up with. So the training of sprint mechanics, I'll, I'll do the whole thing first and then I'll break it down. Speed training is the training of sprint mechanics to maximize force vectors across starting positions, acceleration, and transitioning to max velocity that leads to significant and measurable improvements in speed. So kind of a mouthful, one sentence, but the training of sprint mechanics and mechanics in, includes shapes, patterns, rhythms. And mechanics are different than technique because mechanics have force involved, where technique is kind of just how it looks. So the training of sprint mechanics, shapes, patterns, rhythms that 
uh, to maximize force vectors. So that's the fanciest part of it. We have to use simple language, force vectors. And the reason why we chose vectors because it has a magnitude and a direction. So I always say sprinting is about who can hit the ground the hardest in, in the right way. And then like put that force back into you. So that's why vector is a good word for that. So the training is sprint mechanics to maximize force vectors. And then across starting positions, acceleration, and transitioning to max velocity sprinting. So it's all parts of linear speed. That leads to significant and measurable improvements in speed. So when you break down like that, everything makes sense. And simply just being able to put that into a sentence, whether it's it's me speaking on a podcast, whether it's me trying to make a social media post, whether it's me diving into something with an intern of mine, just being able to have that just provides so much clarity. We literally know what we're all talking about. So whether it's it's something more theoretical, like leadership, culture, you know, things in sports, you know, how many times have those words been jammed down your throat? But how many times did someone actually define what leadership actually is? Versus just the qualities of make someone a good leader. So uh, that was kind of a, a side example. But so that's my definition, our definition of speed training. So everything that I talk about is in that lens, as you were talking about in our pre-conversation, A, about people's experiences and stuff. So that's the lens, that's the pair of glasses that I look at and I talk about speed training with. So how does that, that definition sound? Uh, brilliant. And I think I've heard you previously state that in some previous podcasts too. And when you when you actually did state that exact sort of definition, I remember going, that's really well thought out. And I loved how you did use vector too, because obviously it has a direction and a magnitude. So yeah, I, I get why you'd, you'd use the word vector there. But yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it as a starting point. And then if, if I had to toss coaching lingo, putting it all together as to like what my philosophy or my model is, is I'm a linear, concurrent, short to long, high load, training so part of that is influenced by the private sector so if if no one has coached in the private sector or knows what that means basically it's it's a private business where athletes come to me and pay me to help get them bigger faster stronger but mainly faster as i've stated versus if you're at the college side you have your college athletes who are always on campus xyz so the challenge of the private side is i don't know what kind of athlete is going to walk through the door they have however many hours of training that week. And I see them hopefully too, if that. So they have their, there's three sports teams they play on. They have their two private coaches. They go to lessons. They're driving all over the freaking country to play these games. And half my sessions, I call them duct tape sessions where like, they're just so beat up with volume that I'm just trying to, you know, walk out feeling better than when they walked in. So part of that lends to only have two hours a week. So they're both going to be high days, quote unquote. We don't have kids trained back to back. Um, it's linear. It's concurrent. We train all qualities of speed development. So we train, you know, we warm up, we jump, do our explosive stuff, top speed, acceleration, and agility, just different ratios of that, depending on the focus of the day. So um, if I, if I had to give some, some coach talk, it'd be linear, concurrent, short to long, high, low training. How does that sound? Love it. Absolutely love it. I suppose it resonates with me because it's very similar to sort of my development as a coach in how I would have um, programmed and sort of just even those words, they just resonate with me because, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it, they, they basically the, 
are so familiar to me those concepts so and, and again very similar to the to the lens i would have seen coaching to and program through so yeah the, the likes of you know linear and, and concurrent and yeah just uh yeah i think it's very well put together yeah and and those are words that have definitions as well that the listener is probably familiar with you know linear well you increase in a straight line yeah we increase some volumes as we go some intensities as we go concurrent just means you do everything all at the same time as opposed to something like block periodization where nothing is ever really truly block if you know the definition of block training um but we do train all like if it's our top speed focus day we're still doing acceleration and agility just the ratios are different and then short to long, which is a Charlie Francis, Derek Hansen thing. Um, and then high low training model is just when it's our days to sprint fast, we sprint fast. And when it's our days to be off, make it an actual off day. Or when it's your day just to do active recovery, just do that and leave it at that. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And just continue on there. Uh, yeah, definitely all that resonates, as I say to you. So, you know, linear concurrence short to long high to low i mean that's all my language and you're so true that there is no real true block periodization like even when you read like even when you read like verkashansky's um block sequence uh system even in that like it says that there was retention of some of the other qualities well it wasn't like it's just like pure saturation of one quality that there was retention loads and then obviously with ishran's model there's definitely retention loads in that because he speaks about that sort of um throughout the book and obviously the use of residual timelines as well but yeah you're so true nothing is true true block there's always going to be some elements of um every quality in there but it's just right i like the word you use ratios that's how i would see it as well and it was really al to sort of push that onto me too al has that saying he's like always keep a thread of everything in your program but it's just those ratios that you're manipulating in terms of what specific qualities you're going into which is something that obviously charlie francis spoke about but yeah i love that linear concurrent uh short to long and high to low all fully resonate with me. So, um, yeah, what one of the areas I really wanted you to get into then was just the speed um, development with your athletes, and particularly around the low velocity profile. I know you've written an article on Simply Faster with your use of the 1080, so I'd love for you to get into that if, if that would be okay with you. Fantastic, yeah. So I, I know not everyone has access to a 1080 sprint, and I always say, you know, like, I, I think 1080 sprint would sell way more if they gave, like, six month free trials like if you use that thing for six months you are not giving it back you know um but so i'm super super fortunate i know not everyone has one but also i didn't cut the check for it so i'm, I'm glad my my boss did but think about the the tennis sprint as a tool you know you still have to pick the loads you still have to pick the distances you still have to do the excel after etc cetera, etc cetera. And you can do this with a stopwatch and sled and weights, you know, which, which I'll, I'll, I'll get into. So think about it more, the concept of low velocity profiling. And I just happen to have a tool that makes it super, super easy. So if we break down a load velocity profile, you know, going into operational definitions as the listener just rolled their eyes at me. So a profile is just evaluating their ability across a range of things, trying to like describe their ability. And then you have load versus velocity. How does load affect their velocity? So imagine a graph, you know, we'll, we'll go back to high school science class. You have the independent variable on the X. So that's the load that they're running against. You get to pick that. And then you have the dependent variable on the Y. That's 
affected by how um sorry the dependent is velocity and that's affected by the load that you pick right so you're watching how the load impacts how fast they run and it has a linear relationship so in a straight line basically a straight line as the load gets heavier you get slower yes i'm a genius thank you for for pointing that out um so basically we watch an athlete run against a variety of loads we track those velocities and then that's the athlete's ability to run against resistance so that's like what a load velocity profile is so doing that on a 10 sprint i just have something that automatically measures velocity and is very precise on the on the uh on the the lo the load part so how does that kind of sound? Do, do we want to get into prescription, et cetera, et cetera? Where do, where do you want me to, to go after that? Yeah, definitely. So where I'd love you to go with that is how are you utilizing this with the athletes um, at TC? So is there a specific age bracket that you start to introduce this with? And then, you know, how do you like, how do you, um, how do you do a, a low velocity profile? And then how does the training prescription um how do you prescribe your training then based off that so i suppose when, when does it get introduced and then just how do you do a profile and then what do you do with that in terms of the training process for sure so uh we don't really profile before the high school age so freshman in high school is typically like 14 15 because the point of load velocity profiling is consequently action that's the point of all sports science how does it make us do or help us do our training better versus a middle school athlete? Can you really justify individualized training versus let's just do a wide variety of training, make your, your movement base very good. You know, I view middle school training more as a coordination challenge versus high school training is a little bit more about output. So when we get to high school age, they've hit puberty, their training age is starting to accumulate. Now, can we get a little bit more specific with our loads, a little bit more intentional and structured to try to get a little bit better results? So how you would do a load velocity profile, depending on if, if the, the listener is very academically minded and dives into some of the JB Marin profiling stuff in his protocols, or they just want the, the true action stuff of how it looks like in more in real life in the applied setting. So it's anywhere three to JB does up to seven sprints of increasing loads and you track the velocity and you're supposed to stop when the athlete reaches 50% velocity decrement. So I'll say VDEC a lot, that stands for velocity decrement and think about it in lifting. You speak in terms of your one rep max. So this is 80% of my max 90, whatever. In speed training, we talk about how much slower or the decrement how much slower the load makes you. So think 10% VDEC, you're running at 90% of what you could unresisted. So once you hit 50% VDEC, or once you are running literally over half as slow as you would without the weight, then that means that it's a well-rounded profile. You've gone as heavy as you have to go to get like a, a light, a medium, and a heavy. So if your best is 10 miles an hour, as soon as you get under five, then that means that you're done with the profile. Now, in my setting, well, some of our, our uh, professional athletes, we don't have enough load on the 1080, which is just wild. 
but also we don't always have the time to do seven sprints, right? So typically four is super solid. We've messed around with three. Um, and the, the, um, the R squared is still pretty solid on that. So typically think about how heavy ish you want to end with just by anecdote experience. And you can dial this in over time. Like our, our processes in that article I wrote, that was over the course of tweaking like over 140 profiles. So it takes a lot of time. So imagine where you want to end. You know where you want to start something super light or body weight. For us, it's one kilogram, which is basically body weight. And then do you want to do two two jumps in between, one jump in between? So if we're gonna so our beginner protocol is one, five, ten, fifteen, intermediate, two, eight, fourteen, twenty, advanced, three, ten, seventeen, twenty-four. So just even jumps in between, try to get a well-rounded, um, a well-rounded profile. So you do four sprints. Actually, let me let me talk about kind of how to do this without a tiny sprint because most listeners probably won't have one. So speed is distance over time. If you have timing lasers, if you have a stopwatch and you have some way to measure distance, well, you can calculate their velocity. And of course, the more official your your measurement is, the better the numbers will be. But let's say you have timing lasers. I would assume most coaches who are interested in doing speed work have timing gates. So you would do a, a fly 10 with like a 25 yard lead in. You would do a fly 10 with a little bit of weight with a 20 yard lead in. You do a fly 10 with, well, at that point, it's more like a, a full sprint, but a lead in before 10 yards of lasers, basically decrease the distance before the lasers decrease the lead in as you increase weight. And then, well, if you know, the lasers are 10 yards apart and you know, the time, well, there's your velocity right there. You just have to, you just have to mess with the lead in to where they hit their highest velocity in the lasers. And that just comes with experience over time. If, if you can kind of envision that example. So basically some sort of way to get their velocity with a variety of weights, three, four, five, you put that into Excel. And basically you make a little graph in Excel that auto charts it. You say, right click show formula or what show equation Y equals MX plus B and then that's their load velocity profile. So how does that kind of sound on how it actually looks like in real life? I give a few different examples. Do you want me to explain any of that further? No, that's, that's absolutely perfect. I suppose then, um, I know in the article and I linked to the article in the show notes, you spoke about, the distances that you use to get those four data points. So maybe just speak about why those distances and then the decrements that go with each one. I know you started touching on, on the loads in terms of beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And again, I think for the listeners, the article would be a great supplement to this. So maybe if you listen to this podcast for a first time, you're like, I don't really fully get this. If you read that article and then maybe come back to this a second time, I think everything will start to make a lot more sense because if me being perfectly honest i'm just not mathematically minded that was never my strong point in school the fact i did leave school at 15 as well didn't really help but uh you know i'm definitely not a numbers my brain doesn't work as well maths i'm definitely in the science realms i was always more towards like biology um even though I've, i really wished i was more into the, the chemistry and definitely the physics as i got older and realized shit this physics seems like really important when it comes to like biomechanics damn it so I've kind of gone back and educated myself on the basics. But yeah, maybe just get into those distances 
and then um, the loads. I know you kind of already touched on that, but then also too with the program. I know that actually you spoke about like you know what exactly you sort of focus on in that phase one to phase two to phase three in terms of your periodization of it. So you're probably going to go down that road anyway. But that's kind of where I'd like you to, to go now, if that's if that's okay. Yeah. So so if we go back to the definition of low velocity profile, what what is the fastest s- speed that an athlete can hit at a load? So the term I use is called like peaking out. So did the athlete actually reach their highest velocity at that load? So in the article, there's a graph and I'll, I'll try to paint a picture. So the, the 1080 sprint, it has this graph of like of a bunch of waves of every step the athlete takes. And then it goes up, it kind of levels off and then they get a little slower at the end, depending on, on the distance. And the, the 1080 automatically finds the fastest five yards fastest five meters so if they peak out they would have two or three steps that aren't included in their fastest five yards which means that they hit their max velocity and they got out of it so if if the athlete does not have a few steps where they're kind of slowing down well that means that they might have gone a little faster if they had more distance you know so that means that they peaked out that they actually hit their peak velocity at that resistance so if you're doing this with sleds and timing gates, mess around over time, the lead in distance where they have enough space to hit their max velocity, but it's not too long to where they slow down in the lasers. And that's just some guess and check trial and error. Like I said, it took me 140 profiles to, to dial this in and the distances and stuff. So basically, how long is not too long, but how, how long is not too short? You know, it's, it's a happy medium, but that's just trial and error. Um, and it's going to be different for tennis sprint versus sleds versus chains, et cetera, et cetera. So the math, which hopefully I'll, I'll make this actionable. So Y equals MX plus B. Everyone can envision that, that p- pull back that trauma, that PTSD of algebra. So Y equals MX plus B. So Y is our independent variable, how fast we're actually running equals M. So M is like the slope of the line, which is calculated just by Excel that does that for you. So it's like negative 0.15, okay? X is our load or how heavy you make the sled, you make the machine, whatever it may be. Plus B, which is your independent variable or the, which is your intercept. So basically it's your highest speed. When there's no load, what is that speed? So the speed you run at is some number times the load plus your speed. So what we do is we work backwards. So let's say my my highest speed is 20 and I want to run at a 10% velocity decrement. So I want to hit 18 miles an hour. Well, I know what Y is, 18. That's what I want to run at. I know what M is, Excel told me. I know what B is. I know what my max velocity is. So I only have one variable left, and that's how heavy to make the 1080. So I, I backwards solve, you know, subtract, divide. And that leaves me with X. So it tells me how fast, or sorry, how heavy to make the 1080 to run at 18 miles an hour. So that's how it gets turned into action. It gives you the formula. You know what velocity you want to run at because you know your best velocity. So you know the, the decrement. And then you figure out how heavy to make the machine, the sled, whatever it may be. So that would be kind of a little bit more details about 
lead in distances. You have to actually hit that high speed. And you just watch the athlete run. Be like, oh man, they, they still had some gas in the tank. I'll give them two and a half more yards. I'll give them five more yards. Or man, that that like fly part was a struggle. You know, like that was way too much uh, distance at that load. So next, turn it into action. So this is more of a general speed training philosophy question. So I'm a short to long guy. That makes sense to me. You know, Derek, I believe is a short to long guy, not to put words in his mouth. Um, I know Charlie was as well. Um, and if I'm totally wrong, then just ignore that I said that. I know some people are long to short, but if if we're going down a short to long rabbit hole, well, then heavy to light makes sense to me. Because think about a heavy run that's going to be 50% velocity decrement. It's going to be a 10 or 15 yard sprint. More than that, you're just absolutely toasted. It's just, you know, junk volume at that point. 25% velocity decrement, that's going to be 15 to 20 yards. And then a 10 yard velocity decrement, very light, is going to be 20 to 25 yards. So as we go short to long, as we work on our starts, our transitioning and get into our max velocity, it makes sense to get that foundation of the heavy running, the ankle stiffness, et cetera, et cetera, the, the sprinting specific strength, and then take that load off and let the speed come over time. So if you subscribe to a short to long model, then a 50 or a heavy to light makes the most sense. So that's a, a beginning into kind of the, the programming. So how does that sound? Yep. Absolutely spot on. And I suppose then transition that into that program. And so what, what does typically phase one look like in terms of loads and prescriptions? And then, you know, obviously that then builds a foundation into phase two and, and mm-hmm. then phase three or block A, block B, block C, whoever people want to mm-hmm. title those. So if, if that's where you want to go next, that'd be super. Sweet. sweet. So if we take a step back, I know the listeners rolled their eyes again at me. If we take a step back, it's like, well, what are our three phases anyways? So the language that we use or I'll use lifting lingo because that probably makes the most sense to the, the listener. Well, a typical three-phase model is hypertrophy, strength, power. So more volume, less weight, then you have a lot of weight, and then you have a little bit less weight and more speed as you go. So the language we have for, for our phases is skill acquisition for the first phase, strength, speed development, and speed realization. So kind of like, can we just get the low hanging fruit first? So the, the first phase, and we've messed around, we've gone 50, 25, 10, we've gone 25, 50, 10, but you know, I think 50, 25, 10 makes sense, but you can't go wrong. But anyways, you're going to end at 10 and then you're going to start heavier. So skill acquisition, it's going to be a lot more technical work. And let's say we're going 50%. So we'll warm up. We'll, we'll hit our little bit of top speed, technical stuff. And then on our acceleration focus day, we'll do whatever drill or drills that will take up most of the time and the volume, just trying to improve the technique of running. And if we, when we go into our 50%, because it's so different than running, it's not really running. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain. So if anyone has ever done a super, super heavy run, you take the belt off and then you try to do a regular run, you almost fall on your face, right? Because 
although you are sprinting, the timing and the rhythm is just so different to where it's more of a sprint specific strength stimulus. So if we can set that foundation in, in that first phase of getting our ankles stronger, learning how to hit really big shapes, be really aggressive, just like the beginning of a sprint acceleration, right? In our short to long model, the, the heavier you resist, the closer to the beginning of a sprint you're working on. So 50% velocity decrement is basically getting 10 yards of your first three steps over and over and over and over again, trying to be really aggressive, really forward lean, really big shapes. So that's also why 50% in the first phase makes sense because you're working on literally the beginning of the start over and over and over again. So if you think, you know, how many sprints would you run anyways? Well, you'd run, we, we do typically, I guess I'll answer that question. That's kind of why you're asking me the question as your podcast guest, typically uh, three or four sprints in the machine. And then we'll end with two to four timed accelerations after. I think it's always valuable to bring it back full circle to the end goal. And that's to get faster, unresisted, right? As well as you don't want to get, you, you don't want to abandon sprinting too much anyways. Like I said, because that 50% is so heavy, the timing is so different that we can't lose the feel of actually running. So perfect world. I do four resisted sprints, good two minutes rest in between after all of our technical work. And then I hit two to four time sprints where you go into our agility and then we'd lift. So that's phase one skill acquisition phase two strength, speed development. So we have our, our sprinting mechanics. We've cleaned that up. We got the low hanging fruit of simply just looking better when we run. Well, now can we do that under load? Can we do that with some resistance? Can we just get stronger in those new positions? So that's where consequently the 50% might make sense in the second phase. So that's not really the point of this. It's saying that it's flexible. What makes the most sense to you? But now, uh, yeah, did you want to hop in? Okay. So, uh, so then we have our strength speed development. So this is going to be, um, <clears throat> you know, like weight belt fly tens, this is going to be still resisted runs, maybe some resisted technical work, right? If you do a load and lift on the wall or wall switches, well, now let's put a, a band around your waist, right? Can you do those same wall drills, but just with a little bit of external, external load, pulling your hips back, something like that. So if you go short to long, heavy to light, 50, 25, and then our last phase is going to be our speed realization. So we just spent six to eight weeks hammering technique getting stronger in those positions, overcoming some pretty heavy loads on a 1080 sprint or the sled, whatever it may be. Now let's let it fly. A lot, the, these workouts just feel so much different. You know, the, it, it goes by a little quicker because it's a lot more just sprints, a lot less drills, 10% velocity decrement, which is super light. It almost feels like nothing and it should. And, and here's a, a funny anecdote. You would assume going from 50 to unresisted oh, that contrast is going to be crazy. You know, like, let's just do that all the time. And you see kids fall on their face or their times are actually very bad. The first one is awful because the rhythm is so different and it takes them one sprint to like get their feet back under them versus the 10%. I was like, ah, like, like, I don't think it'll do much. 
But actually, those are the best contrast reps I've ever seen because this, the rhythm and timing is similar enough to where they don't lose it, but it's still enough to where you do get a little bit of that potentiation. So whether it's doing, um, well, phase three, we do contrast. We go machine, laser, machine, laser, kind of bounce back and forth. So that's how it would look in real life, but also that's more of what would your speed training look like anyways? So how does that kind of sound? Yeah, that's spot on. Just one thing um, regard the distances, the exact distances then. So from that sort of first phase third to second phase, third phase, how, like how much of an increase is there? Like, is it just zero to 10 in that block? A, and is it just, again, is it just short to long? Is it just going in 15 to 20 in phase two and then 20 to 25, 30 in phase three with the loads obviously decreasing as the distances increase? Is that how it's going? Yeah. So um, I guess it, it also depends on your training frequency. So, um, on our acceleration focus day, that would be when we would do our resist resisted stuff. Day one, day two is our top speed focus day. The acceleration on that day would be more like push up starts, half kneeling starts, kind of just challenging that those positions. And then day three is our long acceleration slash change of direction. So that's where we get some of those longer runs in because as we found, in our, in our model, we probably don't do enough transition work. We separate our acceleration and our, our top speed um, pretty well. And our kids just don't know how to transition. But the thing with transition is like it's long enough to where you need a, a lot of rest, but it's not fast enough to where you get that, that top speed stimulus, right? Um, but that's just the challenge of the private side. So anyways, to go back to your original question, um, I just want to answer where you get some of those longer runs in. That would be like a day three kind of thing. So you go 10 to 15 yards and then 15 to 20 and then 20 to 25. So yes, it would get longer. And then consequently, we're always doing a, a 515. So that's our measured acceleration. You start the zero, the laser is five yards away and 15 yards away. It's just a standard way of like a five yard lead in that like you don't mess with the athlete, like hitting it early, whatever. So we're always doing that just because it's like, you can't change your test every block because what do you compare it to? But every phase, I like to toss in 10 20s. So you just move the start line back five more yards in the next phase. So some 515s, some 10 20s. And then in the next phase, I like to do 515s and 525s. So also, like I'm transitioning, I'm challenging their ability to also test a little bit longer as well. Um, so does that answer your, your distance question that might or might not have? No, so ju just so I'm clear on that. So, right. So obviously there, there's your micro cycle, there's your weekly cycle and then just block the block to, so just in, let's say it's phase one, your micro cycle then in phase one. So oh, week one to two to three. And well, so, so, but, so my original question was from, from block from, from your first block, so from our phase, you know, people say phase one, I say block, I say block A, B, C, but I think in your article, you have phase one, phase two, phase three, just from phase one to phase two to phase three, like with the, with your speed work, like, is it, and you, I think if I say this, it'll become more clear. Like, let's say you were doing speed work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 
and it was acceleration Monday, Wednesday, and it was top speed. I'm just I'm just wanting to say there it was acceleration Monday, Friday, and 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 max velocity on Wednesday. And those two acceleration days, let's say on block block the first phase were zero to ten, and then the next phase they were ten to twenty, and then phase three they were twenty to thirty. See what I mean? And then is it like would would and then would, would the load be decreasing? So it'd be fifty percent versus exactly, yep. Yeah, yeah. So fifty yeah, percent, twenty five, ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yep. that's kind of what I was. That's kind of what I was asking. And then with that microcycle, sorry. So you were saying how many linear hits are you get a week, tw- twice a week, then Monday, Thursday. Was that how you guys are programming? Yes. So with the concurrent training, you know, like that's more of a training frequency question. So in the high low model, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever. Um, we're, we're hitting on everything twice a week. So that, that goes back to the concurrent as well. So we're getting two doses of top speed. We're doing top speed on day one. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll give the, the listener a little bit more kind of kind of coach talk. So I, I, I describe drills in three ways. There's technical drills, which is going to be a little bit slower, more, you know, just thinking. There's going to be uh or mechanics drills because mechanics includes force mechanics drills integration drills so this is like a transition into a run this is actually running with some resistance and then you're gonna have your just all out um sprinting drills so on day one for our top speed we're doing our our mechanics drills and we're doing our integration drills to bring it full speed we're just not timing so we're getting a decent top speed stimulus on that day and then we're we're measuring it on day two so we're doing that twice a week we have our acceleration on monday we have our little bit of acceleration on wednesday and we have our longer accelerations working on that transition on day three so it's really it's really a three three doses of acceleration but acceleration is more important or you do it more on the field versus reach top speed relatively speaking um it's not as taxing on the nervous system as top speed and then depending on how the sessions play out, you have your, your big block of agility on day three, for sure. And then you, you get what you can and don't want to go too much on Monday. Cause then you're sore on Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, we get two or three doses of, of everything, just different amounts. Sweet. Perfect. I suppose now just, just kind of not, not so much moving away from, from speed development, but just more now the global model at TC. So let's say I'm an athlete and I show up at TC um like what like what should i expect like how much assessment is involved what does the typical micro cycle or weekly cycle setup look i know it's going to depend on like okay like what age am i you know what's my sport and then what's my training frequency but let's just we can put maybe a, a hypothetical situation say i'm a high school athlete and I've been, I've been, maybe I've already been with you guys a year or two, but I'm coming back now for my off season training and I'm walking in and it's the, it's like, it's the first day back for this off season. Like, do you guys like say, right, we know, we kind of know where he's at in terms of his training age. So we kind of, we're going to assess him now and we kind of know what are applicable in terms of assessment. Like, so like this guy, because of his training age, you know, there's certain like training tests that will be applicable to him because he's not a complete newbie. So we can actually get some meaningful data here. And then he's he's going to come here to train high, in terms of high CNS stimulus. He's three days. He can come a week, um, and it's for 
a 10 week program or whatever or over the summer or however like say he could do three full phases so just give you some sort of context maybe so that it's a bit more easier for the listener so yeah let's let's just say like it's a, a male high school athlete you know he has a deep reasonable training age in that you can do some reasonable assessment from a profile standpoint what would that look like and then programming wise if he was coming three days a week if, if that gives you maybe sort of a case study yeah 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 um well you can definitely expect some good music and for me to make fun of you for an hour we, we like to keep the, the vibes good and, and keep it light. You know, I like to, I like to be the, the only coach that, that doesn't yell, yell at them and they're weak. So, um, keep it, keep it, uh, up, up, uh, tempo. So if, the, if they're coming off of season, not training, whatever it may be, we have to get the rust off anyways. If we can get easy gains, why not start there? So I'm going to take them through a profile compared to their old one, get some loads for the upcoming weeks from the profile. And if we can get better just by getting the rust off, well, why would we use our fancy training uh, drills at the beginning, right? So I think it's still valuable to go back to the basics. It might be a little bit more expedited of a process though. You know, let's say I have someone for the summer, let's say 10 weeks, you could do a three, three, two, two. You could go two, three, three, two, you know, just go through a quick little first two weeks. So I think that would be more, how are they progressing? You know, if, if there's someone who's very coachable, they do these drills on their own and their warmups, they just look very good. Well, I could progress a little sooner, but it's like, Hey, if I can save my fancy stuff for later in the summer and still get faster with the more simple stuff, I'm, I'm going to do that. Um, so don't, don't, ignore the value of just hammering the base like sprinting move your your hips forwards more and get it across the line faster than the other person hip flexion hip extension knee flexion knee extension right like there's only so many ways you can redo sprinting and i feel like us as coaches and this is the battle i fight we might get a little bit more bored than the athlete does because we do this like four to eight hours a day and I've never heard an athlete be like, oh, this is, we did this last week. This is so boring. Well, maybe my youth athletes, but they're, they're different. So like you get bored before they do. And if you can get better with the easier stuff, then start there. So it's going to be just like if I had someone on the first day, we just might progress through it a little bit faster. And if I know certain drills or cues that work for the athlete, like chances are if they're a soccer player, I, I got to get them to open up big shapes, big arms. I'm going to toss in a few more stride length dominant drills with them. If it's someone who's super strong, big pusher, well, I'm going to toss in a few stride frequency dominant drills. So give them a little bit of what they lack in a well-rounded program. Start with the basics, crush that. And then I'd trans, so that would be like our skill acquisition phase. And then I would transition into our speed strength development, strength speed development. I don't know. Those are both the same in my mind. I've never heard anyone actually like justify, anyways, whatever, into our skill acquisition. And then maybe like a phase four of more potentiation and more contrast. Um, but don't go too quick just because, you know, if I start with my 10% on phase one, my 10% contrast, what do I do after that? You know, um, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, no, so that's perfect. Just a, a follow to that then. In, t in terms then just of 
not just with the the speed assessment in terms of load velocity, but like, would you, would there be an assessment to look at all physical abilities? So like, w- would you be looking at max strength? Would you be looking at a jump profile? Um, as well as obviously just time and speed and would there be some agility component to that kind of just to get a winner there and do you guys do any sort of movement assessment or orthopedic stuff you know so to kind of tick those in my mind I, I all see Alvar Mills hierarchy like you know so and I kind of modified it a bit so like the, the foundation of it to me is like lifestyle factors so like nutrition and circadian rhythms and sleep and hydration levels and then just your mindset and then on top of that is like movement quality and then so there's movement quality and then there's like body composition which would be like you know the ratio of muscle mass to fat and then on top of that is stre- general strength max strength explosive strength and lastly reactive and then speed at the very top in terms of like all these qualities sort of being the foundation for each uh, succeeding quality so that's kind of how i see it in my mind mm. and it's kind of like as you work up that hierarchy kind of like to the right hand side is like you know how do we get objective measures of all these so like some movement quality could be a functional movement screen or it could be some pri test or it could be a functional movement screen plus orthopedic table test that you just like to do or whatever it is you do and then like body composition is just your body fat and then like you know however you're going to do that as a calipers would have times a getting a weight on a scale or can you afford a dexa which would probably be the gold standard even though i know some people say that still has flaws and then for strength we have obviously basic strength tests you know okay our one rm test and then you know, depend on your settings and your technology, I suppose we could really start going down like, you know, mid-tie pull versus fucking a counter-movement jump to get dynamic strength index. But then moving up to explosive strength, you have your eccentric utilization ratio, counter-movement versus squat jump or non-counter-movement jump versus counter-movement. And then elastic reactive reactive strength index, even though some people say that that has flaws in it. But you get what I mean? Then speed would be your time. Yeah. Your time. So like, would you, do a, would you do any sort of full profile? In that? And that's kind of why I gave you a sort of hypothetical athlete because like you know if you just say oh do you, like what do you do with your athletes and you go well if they're nine years old and they don't do like they'd have no sort of formal training or whatever well first they're nine so it's probably, we kind of start at 12 with our athletes over here but like yeah let's say they're they're 12 and all they've ever redone is like just play it's just being guided discovery it's kind of like well obviously we're not doing any like max testing with them or we're not you know we're not going to do rsis on them you know what i mean because they don't you don't you don't max back squat your nine-year-olds no i know it's uh just me yeah, it's just usually you and the Eastern Europeans. Yeah, that's because they've been doing this since they're like four or whatever. <laughs> no, uh, but you get that's why I was kind of giving you a hypothetical. Yeah, 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 where, for where, sure. where like where like you had an athlete with some sort of training. So it's like, you know, if they're like, let's say like they're they're 17 now and they've been with you since 14, 15, and they've two years, gotcha. like you know, they've good trap bar numbers, yeah, yeah. They, they can bench. It's like, okay, now this athlete deserves to be tested you know what i mean they've earned the right yeah. to get a proper profile that's kind of yeah. yeah so like more global not not just kind of getting out of the weeds of just speed like because the problem with you now matt is people are gonna go oh yeah matt he's the speed guy he's the love lusty guy and you're like you do realize like i i you know get my athletes to lift and i feel yeah them, yeah you know for I mean? sure totally yeah with with the training age i i assumed which everyone knows how that saying goes i i assumed the training age meant that they'd been with me before um, so the speed training age was already sufficient. So that's why we would progress maybe a little faster. So if I'm seeing someone who's trained, but not with me, gotcha. So first day, we always have our kids start with an eval. It's basically like a half price training session. So we're going to do a modified FMS with the main things being overhead squat, the wall ankle mobility, active straight leg raise, um, the Thomas hip test, and then like the push up. Those are like the big five. And really, those are just, you know, for big red flags. We, we've gone back and forth on the FMS where 
it wasn't turning into action. Like there weren't that many things that we were really adding in or tweaking or modifying. So it's more about identifying big red flags. So if someone has garbage ankles, well, I'm going to spend five minutes in the beginning going through some calf raises, some ankle mobility, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not like because we did the FMS, they're automatically getting three drills. If they move well, they move well. And I have to maximize the two hours or one hour I get with them a week. So we do an FMS, we jump. So we do this, the EUR, the squat jump to counter movement jump, vertical jump, bra jump. And then depending on the athlete, we'll do a four jump RSI. Uh, but we know with that, athletes just get better the more they do it. It's an awkward test at first. So we kind of go back. If they're younger, not really. If they're older and they've been training, then we will. Um, but not all the time. So the, that's like our, our movement and jump jump test kind of battery. Then we're going to get into uh, an acceleration test, a top speed test, and a train direction test. And I'll take videos of all of that. I'll like scroll through it with them. We'll go through one or two drills, kind of talk about some cues, some interventions. Um, and it's crazy how like I can take a, a little bit of time off their their sprint just by like a drill or cue, you know, um, low hanging fruit, but they can see like, oh my gosh, like, like it can be a simple, like, Hey dad, you know, like you got, you know, 0 0.03 off my thing. I was just thinking about like being taller in the sprint, you know, like I felt like I was bouncing, whatever. Um, so we'll assess a very modified movement screen just for big red flags, not necessarily for it itself because we're a speed training facility, not like a physical therapist place. Movement screen, jump, and then we'll, we'll sprint time and film. So that's how our, um, our assessment goes. We don't lift in our assessments. Odds are our kids need to lift anyways, or their strength isn't tapped out. Now, there's some kids that we just don't lift together. We literally just do speed work. Now, if they want to play in college, if we train for an hour and a half instead of an hour, or like, let's say they're a football player, they like lifting, then we'll do like a 40-20, something like that. But that's kind of how our, our eval process works. Sweet. Perfect. And then I suppose finally then just the, the general session flow. I mean, athletes come in, do they have like corrective work? And then obviously depend on the team that they have. It's lit, uh, well, I suppose you said most of the time it's concurrent and you're, you're doing you know, you're doing like an element of everything, even within one session, because if you're only seeing an athlete twice a week, I suppose you kind of have to do that, get a hit of everything in there, but the ratios might be different. But so is it like, do they come in, do they do some of their own specific individual corrective work, or do you kind of have like a, a kitchen sink approach? Like, so I know like kitchen sink might sound like it's a bit like I'm nearly saying like, it's dumbed down but it depends again on the, the the numbers and all that like i know what you mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like i don't want to i don't want to like a, a well-rounded prehab yeah yeah like it's it's yeah. generalized like so i know like because i worked at my boyster and ignition it's just because and particularly in the summer it's just because so much numbers go through it like you just can't have it like purely individualized so like it's just a really really good general program and again because you know i suppose i'm i'm purely putting out an arbitrary figure here but i'd say in the summer would it be 80 percent or high school kids so like they're all going to benefit from that type of training anyway because they just need that general development yeah you know where obviously with the pro group and then the adult fitness things can be individual individualized a bit more because they're smaller groups but um yeah so sorry just a general session flow is they come in 
do a little bit of movement prep, whatever that looks like, self my fascia release, if they have a correct bit to do, whether that's individualized or group, and then go into their dynamic warm-up. Like, is that, again, because you're kind of training all qualities, is, is that, does that incorporate all linear, multi-directional, just one go, because you're trying to hit those hits? And then is there a power phase, like a med ball, plyo-type block? And then is it, you know, going into their lifting, then is, is there an Olympic variation or a power block, and then a strength block, and then an ESD block at the end? Like, is that kind of how a session flows, or how does it look? Yeah, so I'll I'll go through like a high school class is called our varsity athletic development program, varsity ADP. So not every kid has an assessment. You know, some kids just sign up for the varsity varsity and hop in. But it's cool when they start to learn that we always warm up with no shoes. So they walk in and just shoes go off right away. So we have foam rollers, lacrosse balls. If if we did an eval or we've had that conversation. Maybe they came to a class and it was just them that day. Um, or I just know that they have awful ankles or, you know, like I think that they have like weak hips, whatever it may be. I'll give them maybe a few drills. Hey, if you get here five minutes early, you know, do this on the bench, hit this, et cetera, et cetera. So some of them have a few that, that more just anecdotally, casually kind of just give to them. But it's not like when you walk in, if you have five minutes, do X, Y, Z. Um, but we'll warm up, no shoes on. We'll do some sort of mini band variation, walking hops, uh, just get the little hip muscles going. And then we'll do an ankle rocker variation for the active dorsiflexion, the, the tibias anterior, uh, just because the ankles in that range of motion is super, super important. So no shoes, mini band, ankle rocker. Then the flow of our warm up is just general movement, get the heart up. You know, you're skipping, shuffling, whatever, some sort of stability, hop and skip, drop to base, forward or a horizontal, vertical, whatever it may be, lateral, some sort of stability drill, two or three. Then we have our mechanics drills. This is your ace switches, ace skips, dribble series, whatever it may be. Then we get into our like plyo slash finisher slash, I think on our sheet, it's it's NV, neural activation, some sort of quick feet to sprint, shuffle to sprint, skips for height, you know, just building the intensity kind of as we go. So it's a little bit of a jumping stimulus slash just gets us really warm and bouncy for our timed or our measured jumps after. So mini band ankle rocker, general movement, stability, mechanics, and then something plyo full speed. That's like the flow of the warm-up. Then we'll get into some jumping component. Um, if it's the class, we'll we'll just bounce back and forth between two measured jumps. So it's broad jump vert, vert RSI, RSI broad, some sort of that. If it's a smaller group, you know, two, three kids, or it's a one-on-one, then we'll actually pair like a jumping drill or two with it. So vertical jump plus a med ball throw, maybe make a little tri-circuit. I call it like half half workout, half warm up. It's a good way to like get us really bouncy. We're still warming up and it's prepping us for speed work, but it's also just a, a good stimulus itself just for jumping overall explosiveness. So that's a, a typical warm up. Then we'll get into top speed if it's day one or day two. You know, our mechanics drills, our integration drills. And then if it's day two, then we'll do our, our fly tens. Then we'll get into acceleration. Our mechanics drills, our integration drills, if it's day one, then we'll do our timed uh, lasers. 
it's day three, we'll do our longer accelerations and then we'll get into our change of direction. Uh, so if the speed of work takes long and we don't get to our agility, then, then that's fine. Not that we always do that. Like we make sure to hit it, but there's a reason why agility is last and everything else is first. So the agility is pretty fluid depending on the, the athletes we have. You know, if they're track kids, we just like have them do just more technical work, our rudimentary hop series, because they're just so bad and we don't want to risk hurting them because they just run in a straight line. Um, so we say, all right, it's time for the athletes. You know, you guys go over there. Everyone who plays an actual sport, you know, we'll, we'll do our, our uh, change of direction and agility. Um, and then the categories of change of direction would be our linear deceleration our unilateral cutting, our bilateral cutting, and then our hip flip, um, kind of multi-directional speed work. Um, we kind of do all those drills all the time, but we do more of our unilateral stuff on day one, multi-directional on day two, and bilateral on day three. Um, so that would be like a, a flow of a flow of a workout. That would be like an hour. And then with our middle school kids, we started tossing in some like body weight ISOs, some pull-up stuff, TRX rows. Because like low key middle schoolers are meatheads, even the girls, they, they still want to lift. So although we have an hour and it makes it kind of tight, if we, if we get to it, we'll do some sort of body weight ISO movement challenge, you know, like a, a one-legged press, you know, so it's more of a coordination thing than like a weight thing. Um, but if, if we're with our high schoolers and we're lifting, there's going to be some sort of Olympic component as that's a good foundation for when they go to college or at their high school, chances are they'll do Olympic lifts. So I, I always love when they come back and then their coach gives them a compliment on their cleans or snatches. Like I, I think anyone can snatch. We, we do a lot of it, not heavy, but just to teach them that. So they're not screwed when they go elsewhere, some sort of Olympic component. It's a good technical stimulus and also just warm them up for weight. So it's like that half workout, half warm up thing. So some sort of Olympic component, some sort of jumping component, whether it's with the Olympic or separate, like an A and then a A1 by itself or a B1, B2 or A1, 2, 3. Olympic jump, something like that, plyo. Then we'll get into our main leg in a contrast circuit. So a, a bilateral squat, a deadlift, a unilateral squat, whatever it may be, with another jump, something kind of contrasty. Then we'll get into our ox work slash upper body. So if it's a push and an ox and then a pull and an ox, if it's a push pull by itself and then like a leg auxiliary and a core, anything kind of like that. So a lot of contrast, a lot of bounce, a lot of explosiveness, setting that foundation for when they get older. Um, we don't really track strength stuff. Um, we have gym aware, so we might start in the future, but it's like, it's like when, uh, when my high school boys are squatting, front squatting 65 pounds, do I really care about the velocity on it? Probably not. If you're, uh, if you're familiar with the, the dynamic strength index, you know, kind of movement peak force divided by isometripole peak force, it's supposed to be about 0.7. One of my uh, juniors in high school got 0.99. So yeah, I don't really, he'll get stronger. I'm not too concerned about that. So um, how does the flow of, of a workout sound? Um, I call it like a skeleton. I said like the category of what we're doing. If you know the category, if you know what phase you're in, phase one, two, three, and if you know um, the type of, oh, the, 
the category, the phase, and what day of the week or the focus of the day, chances are you could probably guess what you're doing. Um, and then you, you just fill in the blanks with how many athletes, what's their training age, what equipment do I have available? So it's pretty laid out category phase focus of the focus of the of the day sweet man and just in terms of the business model is it a ten, is it like a 10 week sign up or how do you guys how do you guys work that out is it like a, a fall winter spring summer type deal yeah so so this is one of those things where covid was actually one of the best things to happen to us because it cleaned up some of our processes so we used to do uh, a 10 pack so you'd buy 10 varsity classes, quote unquote, and you could use those indefinitely, I guess. And some people would string that out over a year. Be like, why is little Johnny not getting faster? It's like, I see him once every five weeks, you know? Um, but now we do uh, six week signups. So we rotate through our three phases, no matter what, but six weeks is a good amount to where people can commit. It's good training, but not too much because kids like club sports nowadays are so wild. They're on seven teams, right? They have to, it's a very uh, good high schools in the area. So they're all super smart doing that as well. Um, but six weeks. So you're buying 12 classes twice a week. You'll never lose those. But man, like that has been so, so impactful because the kids are showing up more. So they're more consistent. They're training frequency. Uh, they get to know me better. I get to know them better. They get to know the, the classmates better. So it's you're buying every Monday, Wednesday for the next six weeks. If you miss one or two, you know, like you can just add those on at the end. Sweet. Last two questions for you, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. How do you learn? So I'm always fascinated with the topic of mastery. So I always love asking people about their learning process. So there's a topic that Matt wants to master. He really wants to learn it in depthly. How do you go about that? I think it's it's super important to have a real world problem. So from our, our chat beforehand, where the, the T and fast, no, 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 sorry. Anyways, um, it just has to click, right? Like I've, I've gone down the coding rabbit hole as anyone in sports performance and likes numbers probably has. I've started three Coursera's and just haven't finished because it just doesn't make sense. Right. You know, I'm totally outing myself, but you have to have a real world problem to bring it full speed and full circle. You know, the best I ever got at Excel is when my boss left one month before the beach volleyball season and I was their sports scientist. And I just had to Google a monster, my music and real data from our heart rate monitors. And I just had to figure it out, you know? So I think, you know, if there's a certain topic, what can you do from your real life, real world, real job, and kind of put those together. So I think to create some context for yourself, not just knowledge for knowledge, but like, there's a point I would assume. So try to like make that connection as you're learning it, not after. I think that that's the first thing. And then second is, um, so, so this is, uh, I'll, I'll give an, an anecdote. I think stories are, are super valuable. So I was on a plane for a spring break trip it was actually the week of COVID. Um, and I was looking at the plane and I was like, I'm getting flown across the country to support these athletes play beach volleyball and then talk about their data. Like, how sick is this? Like, why would I not, I not do this forever? So it's like, I want to be a college sports scientist. 
So why don't I ask college sports scientists how they got their job? That makes sense to me, right? So I looked up every Power 5 school. So Power 5 is just the, the best five D1 conferences. I looked up all of those uh, schools. And if someone had sports science in their title, I try to hit them up. Twitter, LinkedIn, email, Instagram, whatever. And I hopped on the phone and that was the beginning of this wild networking journey that I've, I have a few podcasts of my own about. And I was asked on a different podcast, you know, like what, what resources or books or, or just that, that question. I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really read that much. And I was talking to my mentor about it and he was like, dude, you consume the most content out of all of us. It's just conversations with people. You talk to so many people. Um, so I always say like, you could, Nowadays with technology, all right, here's, here's the, the, the social media clip for this episode. You could either read the book or you could DM the author and talk to him on the phone about it, which is just how wild technology is. And if you use our formula that we talked about earlier, you can say, hey, I read this book that you wrote because I personally do X and I have a specific question about this one part of it. How is that author going to say no to you, right? Um, so I think another way to do it is like people and experience. So like you, you could read an article on, on simply fast about low velocity profiling, or you could like talk to the guy that wrote it, not saying that like, I'm the smartest guy in the world, but that's the point. Right. Um, so just, I think talking, like get out of the book and like talk, um, because like, you know, do you want the guy that's that's going to regurgitate textbook info or give you the details and, and the nuance and the anecdotes about what works, what doesn't, whatever? Um, so have a real world problem when you're trying to learn and talk to people about that topic, not just reading about it. Well, man, that second piece resonates so much with me because <laughs> sure, uh, even as what you did. I know, but sure, as you're talking there, you're like, you could go to the guy who, uh, or you could read the article on low velocity profile, or you could just contact the author. It's like, well, I read it and I both. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of, but, so but that's a good place to start, though, because then you oh, ask absolutely. me, hey, I want to talk about X, Y, Z, you know? But, but, but you know what, too, is uh, like, uh, and I mentioned Albert Meal earlier on, and and how I actually got started a really uh, close relationship with Al. Like I actually uh, spent two days with Al in his home in Cincinnati in 2015. Mm -hmm. And and how that came about was going back again to that presentation in 2010. Like I, I was just, uh, I was putting together, I suppose at the time I was essentially putting together my own training system, my own training model, you know, and I think for any coach listen to this, that that's a, a crucial piece of your development as a coach is like to write out your model like you know and, and really start to question like why do i do this and you know how do i measure this and how do i develop this but al's model was was a really key foundational aspect for me developing my own model and i had questions about it i was like i wonder why he does this one way does that and i was like i'm gonna email him and i emailed him and like you know i'm like it, I, I didn't know al personally at this stage so i'm thinking like you know, this is like in my head you know humans make up stories so i'm like this is alvin meal like you know six times with the bulls he won a championship he won a fucking super bowl ring with the 49ers in 81 like this guy's a legend like i was like you know don't be expecting much here like I'm, this is me talking to myself like don't be expecting like he's he, he probably gets a thousand these emails a day email him emails back like like within the hour or whatever or very soon after i send it and he just says coach give me your cell number because he didn't know i was irish either he's like give me your cell i'll call you and i was like rub my eyes going sorry what he's, he wants to call me 
And I was like, uh, I live in Ireland, so maybe I, I, you know, I'll call you like, so save the expense. And he goes, no, no problem, coach. So sending my number rings me like within the hour, he's talking away. And I was just like, you know, like, and I'm just there like, is it all for real? What's going on? But the right. reason, I, the reason, the reason I bring that up, sorry, going back full circle to what you talk about is when, when you're, when you are asking them such a specific question on something that they poured their heart and soul into, they're like, this guy has really read my material. And so obviously there's already connection there. Like they're already resonating with They're like, you know, so like it was similar when I got to know Mike Boyle too. Like I read so much of Boyle's stuff. Like I actually got to know Mike so, so well that after my internship, he hired me to be a moderator on strengthcoach.com for a year. He's wow. like, listen, he's like, listen, you, you know my stuff just as well as I do. So he's like, you know, he's like, we're getting such traffic flow on the website. He's like, you know, you could help me like just link art. You know, you could tell people what you basically answer because you'd be given the answer I'd be given. So he's like, you basically know just as well as I do. And people, people like when people come to you with questions about your work, of course, there's going to be uh, reciprocity there. Because like, you know, so like I read your article and I had specific questions actually. And I meant to actually have a specific question for peeking out. And then when you said about peeking out, I was like, yes, that's what I meant to yeah. too. But like, you know, because you, you, in your mind, like you, you, you've written this, these words mean something to you. And it's your, I guess what I'm trying to get to is like, when, when you, when your work resonates with another human being and they come to you with a specific question and you're like do you know what i had the exact same i'm so happy someone realized that or asked me that question because uh, you know someone go, why didn't you do this ago i tell you why we did that because it was you know this was like the you know the logistics or i had the exact same question and this is why and then it's just the connection and so you're so right that when somebody when you go to someone specific, with a specific question about their work people fucking love that they're like Oh, someone like really like stood like my shit was worth something to someone. That's that's all you want to know. Like that it made a difference, you know. So mm. you're so true. I, I just really appreciate that sort of the way you worded that because it, it just uh it's not and again, like what you said isn't like something that I've never probably thought of or heard of before, but it's that you said it in your way, in a different way that I have heard before that re- has resonated with me in another way that kind of brought it even more to light. So I don't know if we said this online or beforehand, come back to our FOMO for the people. But, uh, yeah. you know, this kind of the XYZ, you're like, you know, go to someone with like, you know, you know, with a specific question, XYZ. And just the way that you said, like, you're going to someone because they know something that you want to learn more of. And even to the reciprocity of that, you may, and then obviously when you're going to someone to ask them something, you can say, listen, this is where I, I feel I'm very strong at. If this is an area that you'd like to know more about, like, let's say I'm a nutritionist and you're an S and you want to know more about nutrition. You could say, listen, you know, about this load velocity profile, um, just like my background is in nutrition. I don't like, if you ever want any, you know, questions on that, or if you want me to connect you with someone, happy to help you in that end. So like, does that, yeah, there's and, that element of it too. But yeah. like the whole sorry to wrap up the whole thing is that yeah, when you really study someone's work in depth and you can go to them with a specific question, the 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 chances of them reciprocating to you are so much higher because automatically they feel like there's already connection there. Like oh, here's someone who's actually taking the time to really read my material and try to understand it and ask me a very intelligent question and not not just come to me like, uh, you know, just like let's just talk shop and it's just like or what would you do you know do you ever know too is like you know like like uh what should be the space between wickets and i was like just read my article like yeah I, you literally know, there, you know what i mean there was no need to ask me that like or like you know or like and again don't take this wrong because it could be a thing like you know there's a difference between like where do the spaces between wickets come like why those spaces that's different to like what what are the spaces between the wickets you know what i mean it's like okay that's in the article but if you want to go deeper with that like so for instance with the low velocity profile like 
okay, there is a lot of information in your article, but there's so much stuff that I still didn't fully understand or get like, and, and yeah, I just wanted you to obviously expand on, and, and you didn't listen. I actually have way more questions too, but just time is a factor right now, but uh, no, I really appreciate that. If you have anything to add to that, fire ahead, because I have one more question. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's valuable. So the, the formula, I'll, I'll go through that uh, really quick. I do X, sorry, I'm reaching out to you because of X, right? So it shows, I could say, hey, Al, you're awesome. Or hey, Al, you know, without saying it, you're so awesome. I took my time to read your stuff and I really loved it, right? So I really liked X. I personally do Y. So you're creating context for yourself, right? So if I'm sharing with a nutritionist, well, that's fine. And then I'll try to give nutrition examples and stuff, right? Like I'm, I'll speak her language. You know, everyone has their own language, right? Um, so, hey, I really liked X. I personally do Y. And then also like, I don't know, just tell us about them. You know, like if, if I'm going to talk with a, a speed coach also, or someone like yourself, probably going to get a little bit more excited than like, not that I wouldn't get excited about someone, but anyways, just someone like me, you know, um, you know, and my specific question is about Z from this article, from this podcast, or I've heard you say this a few times, you know, send it a DM, an email, whatever it may be, if they don't respond in a week. So keep it short, sweet on the first one. No one wants to see a novel, you know, you open that, you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, like I better get my glasses out for this. Um, short, sweet on the first one. If they don't respond after a week, just send a little, hey, just want to follow back up. Or with the email, just hit like forward or reply. Hey, just want to see if, if, you, if you still wanted to talk. That works. You're not saying, hey, douche, why didn't you respond? You're just saying, hey, you know, like, I know life is probably wild. You're in season. I know you're probably traveling. Just want to say hello again. Short, sweet to the point. If, if the second message doesn't work, give it, I don't know, a month or two. Um, but with that formula, two messages, you know, either they just don't use that account or they're probably not nice enough to talk to you anyways, and you wouldn't want to talk to them. So if Matt doesn't reply after two messages, stay on them. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. Like the, there's times where like I'll click on it or like Instagram is weird with the requests, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or like, I'm sure we've all done it. We're like halfway through typing a message. Our attention gets pulled elsewhere. And then you're like, why hasn't that person responded yet? And you're like, I never sent it. Yeah, you know? it's happened millions of times. There, there's, yeah. a, there's a saying over here. It's like, I responded in my head. Exactly. It's yeah. like, you know, you, you like, because you, even like when you get the message and exactly like you say, at the message or the email comes and you're like, oh, right. and then in your head, you're already planning your reply. But then like, you got to do something or go somewhere, or you get distracted. And then you kind of, you half think that, oh, I did reply. And then exactly what happens, you're like, why haven't they replied yet? And I was like, because I didn't reply yet. Oh, yeah. It yeah, happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. But so I, so just a, a quick follow up, like not being rude, just, hey, just want to follow up again. Boom. You, just, just simple. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm the exact. I always. I always send like. I always call it being a uh, pl pleasantly persistent. Yeah. Yeah. Just like exactly. yeah. Hey, I know you're. Yeah. Exactly. Like you would do the exact same way. I know you're busy. Everyone's demands are high. Yada yada yeah. But uh, no, definitely. Um, last one for you. I I used to ask if you could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive. Who would you invite and why? But I think David Gray asked a better question. His one was, if you could learn from three people for a week. Who would those three people be and why? Oh, 
Oh Cut, man, his whole thing was like, oh, dinner, like you know, you're there for an hour or two, you know, it's not. But if you could learn from someone, if there was three people you really want to learn from for one week, who would it be? Oh my gosh, anyone. Um, it doesn't have to be coaches. Could be like fucking Jesus yeah. or the Buddha, or you know, it can be anything in life. If it's coaching, it's coaching, but it can be anything. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll, I'll give an an untraditional answer first. So, do you know who Dane Cook is? The comedian. No, I don't. So Dane Cook, wild story, where he was basically the biggest comedian in the world at one point. His and he he like changed the game on how you do your shows, shows his type of comedy, all this stuff. Biggest comedian in the world, selling out arenas every every night. Wait, sorry, just so you go on. When when like what time era is this? Um, this is probably like the. 2010 ish not, not too too I, long ago I, i'm into comedy like because i love lucy k bill bill burr and jim jeffrey so i'm surprised yeah, dane cook that. maybe maybe a little older like no no earlier than 2000 you know like oh five ten twelve something like that dane cook's super funny and then his brother was his business manager and was stealing money from him for 10 years to where he was basically bankrupt and had to rebuild it all back up so just not only how did he change comedy, but how did he do all that? Just his story. I've listened to him on this one podcast, like the same thing four times. Like I don't re-listen to stuff, but that I do. Um, so Dane Cook, for sure. I would say probably, uh, I'll give another little bit untraditional answer. I've also re-listened to this podcast a few times. Kyle Body. Does that name sound familiar? No, I love founder this. Of, founder of Driveline. No, driveline is no, I don't. I, I love when I finally hear people like that because I'm, I'm learning. Because usually, usually it is people have heard of, like, oh, yeah, I heard that. I heard that. This is great. Yeah, I mean, I, I could have said Charlie Francis, Derek Hansen, you know. Um, well, no, no, but even like people, you know, for, for me, like it's like the likes of again, Jesus, Buddha, Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, like their kind of names I would put out, you know what I mean? Uh, Joseph Shilton Pierce, they wouldn't necessarily be again coaching thing like i love history and all and it's just that you know usually like people will be like tupac or you know or obama or do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so but I, i've never heard of these so it's great sorry keep going yeah so so driveline i don't want to say single-handedly but single-handedly they changed baseball development so they were the first to do actual data-driven development in baseball so they were the first markerless motion capture lab they made it they were the first to start using weighted baseballs and underweight baseballs. And the first really like push, like baseball is a very traditional sport. There's a lot of old people in it. They were the first to be like, no, 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 this makes sense. Like we're, we're going to do this. So imagine TC boost, but just baseball, um, you know, how to throw faster, hit harder, like all this stuff, but with tech um, and his story, I'm, I'm just obsessed with story and the concept of a story and people's backgrounds. Um, so he he like he like went to a small school, dropped out, became a professional ga- gambler. They'd win a million dollars, him and his like group, and then like blow two thousand two hundred thousand of it at, at a, a steakhouse. Just, just wild. And then he like applied to a job with the Rays while he was like on Ambien, which is a, a sleep drug. Didn't remember it at all. And then like the, the Tampa Bay Rays head guy reached out like five years later and was like, Hey, I've, I've been following your stuff. He's like, what? Since when, you know, like five, you, you never know who's watching your stuff and just how he, he, he admitted he was like, his business was a perfect storm. 
where if it happened three years earlier or later, it might not have like blown up how it did. But people say like they do driveline, like they're training, right? So like he single-handedly changed baseball and how we train for that. So just I talked to him as well. And um, um, I mean, I, I already harassed my mentor seven days a week, so probably not him. Um, uh, I, I would say, I would say someone like, like Charlie Francis, you know, like he's one of the, the foundations speed, you know, Derek Hansen was his mentor and Derek Hansen teaches me a bunch of stuff. So one, one, uh, typical answer, Charlie Francis, but, uh, Dane cook is a comedian with a cool story, changed the game and Kyle body for kind of training, kind of baseball, but more his journey. I'm so gonna look those two guys up and and I'm gonna to send I, you the, I, those episodes. That's how I was, I'm gonna go onto my iTunes now and just type in those names. That's what I, I just type in a name and see the podcast. I'm, I'm intrigued now with that because that that's the type of stuff I listen to too. Like I love that even those just yeah exactly. I love stories. I just love I love biographies and all and all that. So listen, I gotta go, man. That was phenomenal. Uh, you're an absolute gent for giving me so much of your time today. Really appreciate it. Your answers were great and uh, really hope that we stay in touch after this. Well, I'll, I'll say goodbye to you when I press um, stop here. So for everyone listening, I'll put everything in the show notes. Oh, just one quick thing. Where can people find out more about you, Matt? For sure. It's uh, Instagram and Twitter. Coach, Coach Big Toe. I always laugh when I say it out loud. My last name is Toe Metz. It's my license plate. Coach B-I-G-T-O-E. Uh, and then that's the easiest way. Um, if I don't respond, just send me another message. Cool. All right. And again, I'll put all that in the show notes. So until next time, guys, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.